Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was, to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp, and welcome back for another episode of the Keto Naturopath. So today, we're going to talk about testosterone. And it's not meant to be the authoritative podcast on testosterone by any means, but I think it will make you more interested in understanding your own testosterone. We're going to focus on men, because that's what we've been focusing on in our programs lately. But it's of equal importance to women, so I'll have a few comments relative to that as well. What you really need to do to find out about this. So we're going to basically talk about testosterone in men, and it's not what they think it is. And the remedies are not what they think they are meaning testosterone replacement therapy. So let's start with the obvious that you need testosterone and women need testosterone. It has a lot to do with bone strength, mental health, uh, being able to think straight, heart health, et cetera, et cetera. But as men both get older and as they lose muscle mass and as they gain weight, get fat, especially as they approach obesity, their testosterone tends to fall. So that's kind of the general profile that most people know. And the thing about of what I've just mentioned so far in those three attributes is that the heavier they get, especially around the belly, so you you have that kind of beer belly or visceral adipose tissue or simply uh, visceral fat, you know, the one that sort of juggles in front of you, that's the one that does two things. And one is if you have mostly that kind of fat, your testosterone, it also drives your testosterone down even further. And it increases your estrogen because some of your estrogen can be produced from your fat cells, now of which you have more of. So it's an ongoing sort of snowball that gets progressively worse. And so unless you intervene by education first, unless you intervene with some way to help instruct these men, and I'm not talking about testosterone therapy, that that's on the table, it's just going to get worse and worse. They're going to become heavier. Their muscle mass is going to become less unless they really are taking upon themselves to work out. And then if they did that, everything would change. They'll become lazier, less motivated, probably depressed. Uh, Their thinking will become more and more clouded. So it's not a good picture. So in going in that direction is pretty common. You know, I say, oh my gosh, I, how do I know first that I have low testosterone? Well, the first thing that people do is that they get blood work done on low testosterone. 
on testosterone. And the problem with blood work, so you go to Quest or you go to LabCorp or wherever your lab is or your doctor's office, is that your blood work, testosterone rises and falls in the course of the day. So where are you in the course of that day? What does your cycle look like? You don't get to see that cycle. You just get to see a moment in time. Is it 10 o'clock or did you go in at 2 o'clock? Fasting doesn't have that much to do with it, uh, though glucose does. So you can sort of say if you ate and you had high glucose, it would definitely affect your testosterone in terms of blood work. So it's not the best place, but it's a place to get started. It's I use it as a cheap backup for a more comprehensive test, and I'll tell you what I mean. So what I do to test men for testosterone and myself as well is you go to a urine test. And so the company I use is called Dutch, which has nothing to do with Holland. It stands for Dried Urine, Dried Urine Comprehensive Hormone Panel. And so what it is, it's actually four pieces of paper that you urinate on, and it basically gives you nearly a 24-hour window from early morning to night. And so you get to see the rise and fall of testosterone. You can see the rise and fall of other hormones. And that's the beauty of all this. You get to see the context of all the hormones together. And it's not as gnarly an issue as you may think. It's it's, anyways, it's the bird's eye view of a lot of things. So the primary difference of blood versus urine is that urine, when you urinate out, you're urinate out waste products. So those are metabolites. Those are metabolites that already been used to, that came from something else, right? So when you break down your cortisol and your hormones, it goes into urine. And so that's what's being measured. You're measuring metabolites at four different times during the day at night. And so you get the overall rise and fall. So it's like putting these pieces back together and that's how they graph it out for you. So it's very accurate. Whereas when you, um, you could possibly do the same thing with blood, but you'd have to be going in uh, four different times, more or less 24 hours. So it's uh, impractical to do it that way. This is why you do it. And then you send in the strips and then they send you back the results and you get this nice graph and it breaks it down in a lot of different ways. So what we find in the group of men that I'm working with, which is between 40 and 65 for the most part, is that I can't say across the board that those who I've seen that they had low testosterone. No, but I can say the heavier they are with belly fat, visceral adipose tissue, their lower testosterone has been across the board. That's a pretty one-to-one. And it's also out there in studies. So that's not, that's not entirely a big surprise. That's pretty much uh, pretty well documented. So it's been 100% with me. And uh, the documentation is mostly around 70%, so pretty high. So what am I going to do about that? Well, it's really interesting when I get to see these panels is that I see that some, one man, one man has very, basically no testosterone, zip. But when you look at their, his estrogen, and there's three different estrogens, primarily we're going to look at estradiol, but you can look at all three, is that they are maxed out. They have excessive testosterone. They go, how can, I'm sorry, they have excessive estrogen. So they have no testosterone and they have all this estrogen. One of the things you need to know about is that all your estrogen, for the most part, comes from your androgens, if not directly from testosterone. Not 100%, but think of androgens, then to estrogen. So for them to have estrogen, it came from androgens first and testosterone. 
So wow, it all basically just moved over to estrogen. And that's correct. It didn't stay as testosterone, and yet they need testosterone. So what's the problem? What's what's happening here? Well, um, first off, you can see the problem, and that's good. Because you can see the problem, maybe there's something you can do about it. And here's the sort of universal truth I'm trying to approach here, is that with these men across the board, so I told you they're heavy, they're, I think they're all obese, they're pretty darn close to it, and uh, they were within uh, five years of each other, that they had across the board elevated insulin, they had elevated fasting glucose, uh, their glucose wasn't terribly out of range, nobody had taken their insulin before, and that was a good point of way out of range. That, so I will even tell you about that because some some talks are more about, let's see, their insulin. Their insulin was in their mid to upper 20s. Where should it be? It should be ideally around 12. How's that? So they have quite a ways to go. The top of the normal range is 18 or 19. So they're fairly high. They're not diabetic. For instance, to compare it with a diabetic, that would be in the 50s and 60s. That's very high insulin. And they're probably giving themselves insulin as well. So they realize, gosh, they have a high insulin. Why would you care about high insulin? All right, now back to the hormones. Well, I told you testosterone, estrogen, you know, you have to go to testosterone first and estrogen comes from testosterone. It gets converted to testosterone. And testosterone goes to a thing called estradiol, just call it estrogen, and it happens almost spontaneously. So when your insulin is high, it triggers, fancy word coming up, call it aromatization, call it a conversion. It converts your testosterone to an estrogen. So when your insulin is high, meaning out of range, that it will convert your testosterone to estrogen. So you will be estrogen dominant. You will have all the features that estrogen would give a woman. There's a difference between men and women with estrogen is that women have far more receptors. So they're much more sensitive to estrogen, less so testosterone, but both are important. And it's kind of the opposite with men to a degree. So, but when you have a lot of estrogen, perhaps all three estrogens, or certainly estradiol, it becomes a problem. It's not just, there's a couple of things. So on the immune side of being high, if you want to call estrogen dominance, and that uh, came into fashion in the, last, in the late 80s, early 90s, estrogen dominant, that you then will most likely have, or you're now open to, or being estrogen dominant, having high estrogen, correlates with a lot of autoimmune diseases. What's an example of an autoimmune disease? Hashimoto's thyroiditis, the low thyroid. So your hypothyroid, the autoimmune form of low thyroid is Hashimoto's thyroiditis. But there's a, uh, Crohn's is an autoimmune. A lot of other autoimmunes. And autoimmune conditions, autoimmune disorders, are associated more with women than they are men. So when you go look up all these disorders, you're going to find out higher than women than men, higher than women than men. Right away, that puts you into a, a hormone. Its predisposition is determined by hormone ratios. Therefore, women more than men. Okay, now, if we're just looking at men, we can say the same thing. Autoimmune disorders 
will have a preference, it will have a, a higher ratio, a higher rate in men that have estrogen dominance. So you, you could say, and I don't want to use the word feminine side, but the women and the men who have high estrogen will have a higher correlation for a variety of autoimmune disorders, period. What else will they have? Well, actually elevated estrogen puts you at risk for prostate cancer as well as autoimmune disorders. So now we have that out of the way. Okay, that's probably not what you thought about. The obvious thing when people think I'm high estrogen is you will, for a man, will go on to have some secondary growth characteristics that are considered feminine. So that's growing breasts. They call it gynomastia. And it goes on from there. You'll have perhaps bone issues. You'll have mental clarity issues. And you'll have some fatigue and so on and so forth. So how do you rectify that? So what I just did, hope, and I'm trying to make these steps very simple, is by saying men that are overweight, obese for the most part, so not just a little bit overweight, a lot overweight, have low testosterone, high estrogen. Why is that a problem? Or how, first, how does that happen? Because those men will have higher insulin. You have higher insulin, it drives the conversion from testosterone to estrogen. They call that aromatization. Fancy word, if you like to use those words. So now it's pushed it way over to estrogen. And now it sets us up with estrogen issues. Since we're not in balance at all, we're way over there, and we're going to have all the things that have those problems. So now a man finds out that he comes in to see his doctor, and his doctor says, you know, I've more than likely he'll make this diagnosis from blood work, not from this particular really good uh, hormone panel. And he'll say, well, I'm going to recommend you know, testosterone replacement therapy, TRT, or testosterone therapy. And that's become really popular in the last 10 years. Here's, you know, here's a cream, here's a shot, and so on and so forth. There's different ways you can take it. Most men take it as a cream that they put on themselves. And it's obviously effective. So now they're taking exogenous testosterone, right? Testosterone from outside the body that now goes inside the body. They can be registered and, and, and measured and observed in the blood. Also can be measured and observed through this urine test. Remember the metabolites will then graph it out. Yeah. And you'll be able to differentiate from what is exogenous and what you've made. So now you've bumped up your testosterone but the whole thing's a fallacy. If you've done that, and it will bring up your testosterone somewhat. In other words, if I did this urine test after you started taking testosterone for a while, I would see, oh, you have some testosterone now. Well, now you have even more estrogens. You know, you've just exceeded, you're way off the scale in terms of estrogen. And it's a little bit like pouring water through a sieve. I hope that's a good mental picture. Pouring water through a sieve. Why would you do that? Well, unless the water's pretty bad, you want to get all the stuff out of it. But for the most part, it's a useless exercise, right? Unless you're rinsing out the sieve. It's nothing being caught is the point. Nothing's being caught in the sieve. It goes right through. And that's exactly, that's exactly it. So if you were to maximize just on the thought alone of testosterone replacement therapy, if you were to maximize the benefit, really get the biggest bang for your buck, you as a guy who's taking testosterone should do everything he can do to bring his insulin back into the normal range. 
If he brings his insulin back into the normal range, he's now stopped that automatic conversion of testosterone to estrogen. You know, some of it happens automatically, of course, but he's now made that ratio, the rate of conversion far, far, far less into a quote unquote normal range. So that would be a big difference. So to summarize, is it for men getting testosterone therapy, testosterone replacement therapy, whether they're having it done to them or they're doing it to themselves and they're paying for it and getting monitored, they're wasting their money and they're making themselves potentially far greater risk of some serious disorders. So to get the biggest bang for your buck, drop your insulin. What does that mean? That means go work out. It means drop your carbs. Ideally go to a ketogenic diet. And that's the tie-in for this whole Keto Naturopath podcast series is that that is a big deal. If any of those heavy guys that came to me initially, and obviously they were on a ketogenic diet, they wouldn't be heavy. I'm way over on the carnivore side. I don't think you have to go that far, but you have to be someplace that you really know the carbs that you're having. In my data-driven way of starting people is that let's measure exactly the the carbs we're having. Let's log it out, you know, into Chronometer or whatever their app is. And so they know if they're truthful about logging things in and they know how to measure their food up front so really get an accurate understanding, they can let all those you know, uh, tedious things to, to do about measuring and tracking, let that go afterward, after a while, but at least they will know how many carbs are having. And therefore, you know, what is the glucose? Therefore, what is the insulin? And so it's a very easy thing to drop it down. Drop it down, drop your insulin down. We're dropping your insulin down because we want your testosterone to come back to normal. Whether you're taking testosterone as a replacement therapy or not. Okay, so I'm hoping I really nailed that home, that we are slowing down the conversion of testosterone to estrogen simply by dropping our insulin and bringing it into the normal range, which obviously means changing our diet. So here's another little stick in the mud. And the stick in the mud might be that you have a good diet that you tracked your stuff on Chronometer or your Fitbits or all these other little apps. And you go, I, I swear I have had no carbs, very few carbs, under 20 carbs a day, which is the classic ketogenic diet used for epilepsy. And so you swear that that's you. And yet you still have high insulin. How would that be? Waiting for an answer if anybody wants to give me one. Well, that could be because you got a lot of stress in your life. You got a lot of stress in your life, whatever it is. You know, it's domestic stress, financial stress, emotional stress, work stress. That stress, now going back into the hormone panel, is going to show up as elevated cortisol. Cortisol is a sugar-making machine. And you've heard me talk about cortisol before. Is it it is making you make sugar. So stress, in the healthy sense of the word, is acute stress. You, you swerved out of the way of that car and avoided an accident, and three seconds later, you were safe again. You were, the bear was chasing you in the woods, and you got away. The unhealthy stress is the chronic stress. You can't run away from it. You're living in it. You're in 
massive financial debt. I mean, a lot of people live this way. They can't shake off, can't shake off the debt like a bear can shake off the water after coming out of a river. It just hangs on you like a coat. That's very hard. Know that, been there. And so what do you do? You have to focus on what you have to do in life, of course, but you need to take things like meditation. You need to do things that are going to break your stress time. So that's where working out, go for a swim, go for a run, meditate. So these things that directly can drop your stress, drop your cortisol. So if you're working on dropping your cortisol, even though you have other external things that you still have to work at, that's a big deal. But if you don't, and we've seen this with people too, they have elevated cortisol. So it's almost a moot point to work on their diet when their cortisol, when they're making their sugar. So if they're making the sugar faster or as fast as you are changing their diet, all right, you've made it moderately better, assuming that you've now minimized the oral total, ex, you know, the, exod- the the dietary source of glucose, carbs. You've minimized that, yet they're still, still making their glucose in your body. And you don't really need a carb in your life. There's no such thing as an essential carbohydrate. So you make all the glucose you need. And for whatever reason, you're just pumping out sugar. You're hitting your liver, your liver's making sugar as best as possible, and that's the way that goes. So you really have to take care of that, and I've seen that. We've done you know, a lot of work with some people, and yet you know, their life was limited, their situation was limited by their ability to be able to reduce their cortisol and to take that aspect of their health seriously. So in, in showing them the cortisol was elevated and they're consistently elevated. You know, there's graphs for this and where it should be in the rise and fall. So nothing stays a straight line. It's the rise and fall. When you show that, you know, they're way off. Uh, one is their adrenal glands are going to burn out at some point. You can only keep pumping, pumping, pumping for so long until finally your body can't make that much anymore. It makes it a little less. And then you start to get burnt out is literally what it is. Adrenal fatigue is another way of saying it. Fatigue meaning they can't make their adrenal hormones, epinephrine, norepinephrine, cortisol. And then your life starts, then you're very much open to autoimmune disorders, a lot of sickness. So those are two areas that you have to take care of. And if one has that perfect diet, but they're really stressed, this makes me wonder about uh, models. If you understand, you know, what were their hormone panel be like, because I hear it's pretty stressful. And if they're so stressed, they're always going to be pretty heavy or they're never going to get to their svelte figure. I'm thinking of females, of course, or male models by the same thing. And so there again, if they don't address their glucose, wherever their glucose is coming from, if they don't address their glucose levels, they're not going to be able to address their insulin levels. And if they don't address their insulin levels, they're always going to be packing on the pounds. Uh, just as a tangent, by the way, that a lot of people take whey protein, W-H-E-Y, and it's usually a protein shake. So I take whey protein because I go work out 
Well, whey is interesting in the sense that it actually does not increase your glucose. You go, that's a good thing. And that kind of goes along with most proteins, unless you're taking a lot and a whole different issue. But if you're taking whey protein, it does increase your insulin. So they call it insulinogenic, but it's not glycemic. It doesn't, it's not glucogenic. So it doesn't make your blood sugar go up, but it makes your insulin go, go up. So if you're on whey and you're taking a lot of whey protein and, and you're a stressed guy and you just heard me say, go work out and you're going to go work out, but you're going to take your whey protein because, you know, that's going to help you build muscles, et cetera, et cetera. You now are taking the thing that I'm telling you not to do because you want your insulin to drop. You want insulin to drop so you don't consistently just immediately convert your testosterone to estrogen like that water going through the sieve. You want to be pouring your testosterone into a bowl that stays as testosterone for a while and then gradually converts to estrogen, okay? So you got cortisol, you got you either make your sugar or you eat your sugar. It's been the same old story, but we're saying insulin, and there's a lot of factors we can talk about, but I'm trying to convey this rather easy thing for you to know that you gotta get your insulin down Get your insulin down to normal. Your testosterone certainly is now going to be given a break. At least it can come up to some extent. So if you're heavy and then you will pretend you just took this lesson and now you've been transformed into a lower uh, estrogen person, a lower, sorry, insulin person, that your testosterone will come up. If you actually do go to the gym and don't take away protein that, and you do some resistance training, ideally HIT, high intensity training, We've talked about this before, especially with Dr. Ben on this, that that's another way that you will be able to get your insulin levels down lower. While you work out, they'll go up because that's what it's about, but long-term, they will be much lower. So that's a big deal. Just don't take the way. And here's another key thing that most people don't think about because everybody's so, got so many things to do. So if you're a parent, you got all the parent things to do, plus your finances, plus your relationship with your partner, plus, 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 sleep. So where and when is it is testosterone made? It is made at night. It is made at night in your deepest part of the sleep. So you have to make it so you get a deep sleep. In order to get a deep sleep, you got to pay attention to, you know, people can go very, very deep on what they call sleep hygiene. What are the factors that when you set up, if you do them consistently, more than likely you will have a good night's sleep? Well, you need a good night's sleep because this is where you're going to make your testosterone. So if you're preoccupied for whatever reason, or if you're taking coffee or medications for something, you name it, whatever you're, or even too much alcohol, it's going to affect your sleep and therefore it's going to affect your testosterone. So that's one more level. So sleep is a serious component. Think of sleep as the source of the river. So if you think about the 1800s, there's all these explorers that went to Africa to look for the source of the Nile. You know, it was this mythic river, source of the Nile. Stanley and Livingston and all that other stuff and interesting time. Anyways, the source of, what is the source of your testosterone? The source of your testosterone the time and when it's made is when you're sleeping well and sleeping deeply and you need to do the things around sleep. So sleep would mean 
you go to bed at the same time every night. Ideally, you're asleep by 10 o'clock. Ideally, you sleep eight hours. So that would mean you're up at six. I mean, it's just the way it goes. At some point, you're going to have to step up to be responsible for your own health. And that means 10 to six, you're sleeping. I've even backed mine up. I've changed my working hours. So it seems a little weird. I go to bed at eight and I'm up at four because I like working in the morning uh, before the world wakes up. That's when I actually wake up with a nice cup of coffee, do some meditation and get the day off. And I find that it's new in my life now to really move in that direction. But the point was, I go to bed at eight, get up at four. I got a couple hours of good work, focus before the day actually gets started. So that's a big deal. Um, So sleep. So sleep is the source of your testosterone, just like Victoria Falls is a source of the Nile. Okay, hope that helps. So now you have a couple things you need to think about. The sleep, which obviously will help with your stress. Your stress, which is specifically cortisol we're talking about. Your stress will push cortisol, make that sugar, make your liver, gluconeogenesis, right? So those are the things. And what I would say is, and I've had some people in our Facebook group, we've arranged with uh, Quest, which is actually Ulta Labs for uh, the public, to have really two two tests that I encourage them to offer for nearly free. And that was insulin, fasting insulin and fasting glucose. Now it doesn't tell your whole story, but I think it tells a big story. The number of people I've met that have never had their insulin taken and they've just had their glucose taken because your fasting glucose is a pretty, a pretty normal part of what you would get when you get your go to your doctor's office. And even if it's a within 10 points out of range, your doctor isn't going to stand up and say, oh my gosh, you're, you're your glucose, I'm sorry, your glucose is 10 points out of range. We got a problem. He's going to kind of let it drift. But if he or she knew, he or she being your doctor, knew that actually your corresponding fasting insulin is 30 points out of range, that would be huge. They'd say, I, you know, this means your pancreas is failing. I mean, you are, you are overworking your pancreas and it can't keep your glucose in a normal range. And therefore, we have to pump out more and more and more insulin. So you may not be diabetic, and maybe your fasting glucose number it doesn't put you in the pre-diabetic, but you could be pretty darn close. But what you don't know is where is that insulin number? And that insulin number, remember the whole, your insulin number is the thing that drives the conversion from testosterone to estrogen. So you really got to find that number out. So... Um, Anyway, anybody can get those two tests. Both those tests, you know, are they 10 or 20 bucks a piece? It's not huge. It's not going to break the bank. And if you just did those two tests, you'd find out something that you probably never knew before. And then you can bring it to your doctor and then you can expand upon that. So I would recommend that. So it's insulin. Now you know about that. It's easy to get and just go do it. So what else are I going to say here? Um. You now know about estrogen dominance, and I told you why we get there as men. But the three big factors, actually four factors for men driven into higher estrogen or lower, I should say lower testosterone. You can even say andropause. That's kind of a fancy term, but this could happen in one's 20s. You can have, and by my age now, anybody in their 20s a kid, so... People in their 20s, guys in their 20s can have low testosterone for the same reason. 
So that's a shame because having low testosterone is going to have you know, low spermogenesis, it's going to create perhaps infertility or certainly conception issues can be very difficult to conceive with your wife. So it can happen at any age. It's just not getting older. So the whole idea of insulin driving your testosterone now, driving your testosterone down can happen at any age. We have also insulin resistance, which is basically when your insulin has to be keep pumping out larger and larger numbers, it becomes less and less effective. Talked about cortisol and when we just have estrogen, that's estrogen dominance. I think I will leave it at that. Other symptoms, you say, that go along with high cortisol level, remember the other way of getting high blood sugar and high insulin, consequently, you have high blood pressure, you have uh, you're obese. We've been talking about that. You have weakened immune response. You have a thing called metabolic syndrome. We've talked about that before. So I would suspect that your triglycerides would be high, your HDL would be low. Inflammation would probably be pretty high and you'd be verging on adrenal burnout. And so you probably have fatty liver. You probably have elevated uh, cortisol because cortisol is the precursor for your hormones. Cortisol uh, sorry, elevated cholesterol, because cholesterol is the precursor for cortisol. So what can you do about this? I've told you some things to do. Focus on your sleep and stress and keep your insulin down. A few things you might want to look into. Look into your zinc levels. Uh, watch your alcohol use, because that affects your sleep. Also affects your insulin. It actually kicks up your insulin. It drives down your glucose. We talked about that, the oxidative priorities. Remember that? And I think we're good with that. Check out things like, I don't even think I'll go into supplements, but drop your carbs. You know the list by now. I don't have to spit out the specific things. And if you're like me, if you're really going to take this seriously, then you do have to document. So go on to one of the apps Put in your what you're eating on a day-to-day basis so at the very least you understand the amount of carbs you're having because that's going to drive your glucose and then your insulin. Okay, I hope that's been a really pretty zero in. And so I want you to walk away with, if you're, if you're a man about my age and if you're overweight, I want you to understand this is something within your control that you now can bring back. So how are you going to change your cortisol levels? Sorry. How are you going to change your testosterone levels? You're going to focus on sleep. You're going to focus on your stress. That would be your cortisol. You're going to focus on dropping your insulin. If you get those things out of the way, you're well on your way. If you work out and start creating some muscle mass, you're also going to be helping your testosterone. I think those are big points. And so you'll find it's kind of a a running joke as men get older, they get... Uh, breasts, they get gynecomastia. Well, yes and no. That's going to depend entirely on you. That's and don't give me the genetics or the background. We're not going to go in the genomes on this one. We can really tighten it up with just the things I've talked about right here. But what I would suggest is that if you go to your doc or naturopath, your functional medicine guy or woman, there are a number of things where they can intervene. But try not to be so so driven by what are the key supplements I need to do to change this. Because if you don't change the things we just talked about today, you're going to get yourself in trouble by just taking supplements because they're going to help you initially. They're going to become less effective 
and they're going to cause deficiencies in yet other sets, just like medications. Same thing happens. It's the same way. So focus on the bigger pieces. And while you're doing that, who's ever helping you on this can help supplement, literally and figuratively, things that will improve your metabolism to help this happen a little more quickly. But don't do that in lieu of the real work you have to do. Okay. I hope it was helpful. I hope it was not too complicated. As always, send me your questions. It's a big issue out there with a lot of men. We're going to go into it with uh, women on a number of levels, not just PCOS, but postmenopausal. What is that about? Muscle mass and so on and so forth. So it's slightly different. So I couldn't put men and women into the same category and say, this is what we're going to do. Some things are similar, but a lot of things are not. Okay. Till next time. Hi, this is Dr. Goldcamp. I just wanted to encourage you to send in your questions to drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Many of you have, and so what I've done with these questions that I've gotten back to most of the people I email, but some of the questions that were so good, and if they were overlapping to other questions, I would combine them and try to put that into the topic of a podcast, either via one of the micro topics that are covered in an interview. As you know, we cover a lot of topics in any given interview or some of my own sort of reporting, if you will, on some of these issues. So uh, please keep the questions coming. Feel free to send in an email and uh, I will get back to you. One thing I want to say, a number of questions have come in in which I've given this answer and the email didn't work. So just make sure that you're receiving at the same email that you sent it in. And I think that might've been the difficulty. So I look forward to your questions. I just wanted to make sure that you knew that I'm hoping to answer your questions. And I think this world of keto is not just black and white. You know, it's nice that it's simple, but it's not simple for some. I'm really trying to, you know, go down as anybody any of you who have listened to all my podcasts, we started way back when, history and evolution, and epilepsy, and so on and so forth. You know, now we're seeing some tremendous overlap in uh, various uh, mental disorders, such as schizophrenia or neurological disorders that are not just epilepsy. And also, just for people in losing weight, it's sometimes pretty complicated for them to engage in keto, and so they need some help. And so that's the whole point of at least that's what I think I'm doing, is exploring the world of why are there other factors? So in exploring some of those other factors, we've covered addiction, we've covered hormones, we've covered uh, nutritional deficiencies, we've covered certain metabolic lab results, and we'll go further. We'll even get to more on genome and aspects. So these are all just contributions that make for an obstacle for some people to engage easily in the ketogenic diet. This is my belief, and these are the things that I've discovered, and I think other people have discovered some of these things, but not ever put them together. So stay listening, send in your questions, and I will definitely get back to you.